You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I still think long term, we're in for what I've called the great stagflation. It's going to be with us for a long time. We're not going back to 2% inflation unless they crash everything and cause a global depression. Then we'll be at 2% inflation again for at least a little while, but it wouldn't even stay down there for you know forever in, in that instance. So, you know, the, the, the whole setup for precious metals, and I think for commodities more broadly, uh, is, is very constructive going forward. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, chatting today with my friend Chris Temple from nationalinvestor.com. Chris, welcome back onto the show. It's been several months. Uh, gold perked up yesterday. Uh, you are you and I are chatting on Wednesday here. Uh, what's your current thoughts and sentiment towards gold, gold as we saw it have a very good day on Monday? You know, I've been getting incrementally more bullish uh, for the first time since I advocated selling our trading positions when gold hit a little over 2000 an ounce some months back i've been telling people to start getting back into those trading positions so far it's via ugl and agq which are the respective uh leveraged bullion plays for gold and silver respectively uh if things evolve as i expect as we get into 2023 we may add uh, further to those and or some of the uh, etfs that are in mining stocks you know the, the last few days mining stocks which have been brutalized for some time now had a nice pop as well you know we're riding with a number of companies that i like for the long term that i generally don't advocate trading in and out of um so i'm i'm just going to be happy with those down the road but but i i'm getting more and more bullish on on gold particularly i think silver will will catch up later on as well but and that's basically bill because of my view that the economy is going to continue bogging down it's not going to go down in a straight line it's not going to be a complete disaster but we've seen the last of the sugar high from all the stimulus and all the fed money printing now all of those things are going in the opposite direction and uh, inevitably the fed is going to be forced to at least pause its tightening if not reverse it if they break something uh, and when they do that, especially, and this will be like a repeat, repeat for the precious metals of late 2008 and onward for a few years, uh, the Fed money printing to come the next go round is going to very disproportionately benefit precious metals because the rest of the economy is going to be too badly damaged to respond to it for a while. So is that the point at, in which you jump in gold and gold miners when the Fed uh, goes dovish? Uh, I, I think you'll add to positions then. Again, we have kind of a two-pronged approach. One is I've got a number of companies on my list, as you know, that are uh, individual companies whose stories I like long-term. Uh, secondly, as I've started doing, you know, via those leveraged bullion ETFs, we're starting a dollar cost average back into the sector in a more general way. And we'll probably continue to, to ramp that up. And, and especially when the point comes that it's more obvious that the Fed is going to have to at least pause. Uh, it's it's tightening. They don't want to have to go back in the opposite direction. But, you know, you, you follow a lot of the same stuff I do. There's a lot of cracks that have shown up in the world in in markets and in economies. Europe's a basket case. China is having trouble. I mean, people in China aren't even servicing their debts now. Forget about paying them off. 
So um, there, there's a lot of reasons why the Fed may, you know, against its will, be forced to relent somewhat if they break something someplace. So that, that remains to be seen. I, I still think long term we're in for what I've called the great stagflation. It's going to be with us for a long time. We're not going back to 2% inflation unless they crash everything and cause a global depression. Then we'll be at 2% inflation again for at least a little while, but it wouldn't even stay down there for, you know, forever in, in that instance. So, you know, the, the whole setup for precious metals, and I think for commodities more broadly, uh, is, is very constructive going forward. What do you think about central bank digital currencies, specifically programmable central bank digital currencies, where they essentially have control over what you can or can't buy and sell? Well, look, if the Klaus Schwab's and the George Soros's and the statists of the world, and some of them in this country too, have their way, we will see those crop up everywhere. You've already got some uh, of, of that in countries like China. Uh, there are rumors that that is coming to the U.S. Uh, there's one particular come on that's been out there for months that any minute now we're going to be forced to deal with Biden bucks, uh, which is nonsense on a few fronts. First of all, when you go and look at the executive order that Joe Biden signed early this year, it does not give him unilateral power to institute a programmable digital currency or social credit scheme, where when you go to use your debit card, if you put a post on Twitter that the Biden administration didn't like, your, your card will be denied. It acknowledges in that executive order that he does not have the unilateral ability to do that. Furthermore, Jerome well, Chris, Powell, he didn't have the unilateral authority to forgive student loan debt, too. Right. So, like, well, we're kind of outside of the bounds of how our government is supposed to work. And look, I would never say it's impossible. OK, but to continue, Bill, Jerome Powell, when he has been asked about this because the Fed for quite some time has been, quote, studying the idea of a central bank digital currency. Uh, he has said that under no circumstances does he have any intention of doing anything like that unilaterally either, that this is something that Congress would have to determine, that this is going to be a new way for people to transact business. And, and even if we get to that point, when you look at a central bank digital currency, most of the things that have been on the table have been simply alternate means. I mean, what I personally think that they're doing, at least here, notwithstanding what China has done and notwithstanding that that it's always possible that you get some attempt unilaterally by Biden or somebody else to have some kind of currency like this, I don't think that this country would go for it. I think that what a lot of people are trying to do before these other things get too much traction among the masses is they want to take the thunder away from the cryptocurrencies. I was just on a debate last night of a, on a gold versus Bitcoin panel. I was on Team Gold, all right? And one of the reasons I disparaged Bitcoin somewhat is that it is not now, nor is it likely to be, a cryptocurrency that the masses can use. That's what all of these central banks want to uh, short circuit. They don't care if a relative handful of people want to get into these speculations uh, as long as that's what they remain. If they were to catch spread fashion, forget about it. I mean, look at not to get off, you know, too far off on a tangent, but look at what happened when Facebook two or two and a half years ago floated the idea of a cryptocurrency. And in this case, something that would be centralized with them and 
something the masses could use. The regulators and, and the banking committees on Capitol Hill were hysterical instantly because this is something that would be a vehicle that Joe Sixpack and Sally Soccer Mom could use. So that's what they want to short circuit. That's part of the push for central bank digital currencies. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that, that it's impossible that Biden or somebody else wouldn't try to have a social credit kind of scheme like they do in China, where where your ability to use your 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 digital wallet that now the Fed and or Joe Biden will control your your ability to use that's going to be dependent on your political views and you know whether you've paid your taxes on time and whether you're willing to let your six year old son be turned into your six year old daughter and all the rest of this stuff. You know, and even Chris, on an anecdotal level, a lot of the stores around me, grocery stores, they don't take cash anymore. Or at least they say, you know, we don't have the cash, the change to give you. So you're forced to use things electronically. I mean, there are a lot of the warning signs. I've heard people say that next year, even they could expect it here in the U.S. For me to see that, I think that there would have to be more than a hard landing, something catastrophic economically. And that would be probably the only means without significant resistance that they would be able to usher something like this in. Well, and there are those who wonder, and I've wondered aloud as well, when you look at what the Federal Reserve is doing policy-wise, I mean, I said for a long time that Alan Greenspan was a single most disastrous policymaker in U.S. history. Because besides all the money printing and inflation the Fed has been doing since Paul Volcker instituted our modern day regimen back in 1982, Greenspan never met an unregulated derivative contract he didn't like. He really turned Wall Street and the banking system into more of a casino. But Jerome Powell has given him a run for his money, I'll tell you, because here you got a guy who was one of the great arsonists of all time. I mean, uh, for about two years. The Powell-led Federal Reserve created about 30% of all the dollars ever brought into being. And now this arsonist is pretending he's going to be a fireman and put out the fire that he was the proximate cause of. And but aren't no, the politicians more at fault, though, Chris? Because, I mean, it's the politicians that are reckless economically, right? Even Trump. No, no I'm not I just blaming not. the current president. You know, and the politicians are partly to blame. But once upon a time before the Fed became the enabler of all of this, they were not the enabler. So when you go back at least to the early years of Volcker, he would not let the Congress and the president, whether it was Carter or Reagan afterwards, at least initially, he would not let them get away with deficit spending, spending money that we don't have, increasing the debt and so forth. But even during the latter part of Volcker's tenure, he flipped and he became an enabler of all of this deficit spending, and it's only gotten worse since. Don't forget that when Jimmy Carter was president, everybody was wringing their hands and Reagan was talking about how terrible this was and others were that we had a $40 billion annual deficit. What was it by the time Reagan left office? Seven times that. But Volcker instituted, and this is the most important lesson anybody can take away from Volcker's tenure, not that he licked inflation, but that he diverted it. So that as a first matter, monetary inflation since 82 and 83, the bottom of the bear market, the beginning of the secular bull market, monetary inflation as a first matter started going into all manner of assets. And then the wealth effect coming down from that 
is what has given us the seeming prosperity, but it's also enabled the national debt to go from around $1 trillion when Volcker was in charge to now 30-some trillion that they tell us about. I mean, there's all kinds of unfunded. And growing by 30% a year at this rate too, right? It's yeah, absolutely it's, insane. It's just nuts. It's yeah. nuts. So the Fed is the enabler of that. If the Fed were truly independent as a central bank, they would not be doing this. And there would never have been this ability on the part of Congress, both parties, as you correctly point out, to continue to run up the charge card because the Fed enables it. And then the markets have enabled it because the Fed created the markets to do just exactly that. So when the music stops, none of us really know yet. But I got into the, that whole diatribe to say that especially when you've got these derivatives on top of derivatives and all of this debt all over the world, for the Fed to first inflate the heck out of everything, and then now, at least in relative terms, be getting tough, they're going to break something someplace. It makes you wonder. I've even a couple of times recently characterized this whole thing. Is Jerome Powell really on a suicide mission? Or is he just talking tough to try and get the markets to work some of the froth out themselves so that he doesn't have to tighten so much in the end? We don't really know that yet. But is this guy really on a suicide mission to crash the markets? Because always, and, and maybe it will be to institute some more draconian controls over money and these these uh you know social credit type of uh central bank digital currency schemes whatever these things always are are excused away by crises so maybe this guy is uh you know got a game plan that he's going to cause one just so that these guys can all pull us off the shelf i don't know i still want to believe that this country, unlike the Chinese, and there's there's a lot of pushback in China. They're having trouble keeping everybody in line. But I want to believe that this country isn't that far gone yet that we would tolerate that kind of a currency where where you don't use your chart, your card unless you uh, are politically correct. Well, we wouldn't. I mean, we didn't tolerate Social Security until everything collapsed. And then we, we implemented something that nobody would have ever thought we would have had here. I mean, the... <laughs> The founding fathers revolted over like a minimal tax compared to what we're taxed at today. Oh, so yeah. it's not. But but Chris, when it comes to uh, U.S. energy policy and not only U.S. energy policy, but you look at the European uh, Union and uh, the so-called globalists, what they're trying to force all the economies and societies of the world into this green transition. This has caused me to go ultra bullish fossil fuels because of this forced transition. At the same time, I'm, I'm investing in nickel, copper, some of the renewable energies I actually have a position in. So I'm playing both sides because I see they're forcing this, they're subsidizing this. So there's, there's an argument to invest in these things. And at the same time, the forced transition is causing the price of fossil fuels to just go crazy right now. And I see that for the foreseeable future. Are you in, in agreement with that? Absolutely, I am. You know, one of the themes that I've been talking about for a year plus now is what I've called the new fangs. Uh, you know, the old fangs have, have their their decline has been more than double the decline of the S and P five hundred. Of course, I mean Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix. <laughs> excuse me, Netflix and Google. The new fangs are fuels, aerospace, agriculture nuclear energy and other you know, carbon-free sources, and the G is for gold and other metals. 
And I am I am very much of the view that we are going to see secular bullish trends as far as the eye can see for all of those things for an awful lot of different reasons. On my YouTube channel, there's a couple of uh, videos I've done this year for the money show. And I'm going to be reprising that imminently along with the written thing where I've got several of my individual recommendations profiled in there that meet one or more of these uh, new FANGS themes. But on energy specifically, of course, you know, and this is the thing where the average American who unfortunately has been so dumbed down that they'll listen to just sound bites or things that sound nice has no idea the devastation that has been wrought for the our, our long-term future, our long-term economic security and, and, and vitality and so forth, just over energy policy. Uh, Powell, to mention him again, just for a second, this is the most damage that he has done at the average person, even the average investor, even the average investor in resources isn't talking about enough because when we need all these different battery metals going forward, the copper, the lithium, the graphite, the cobalt, and so forth. If you are a company that for some time in the U.S. has been, or really any place, but we'll, you know, we'll stick to the U.S., you've been spending a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, hits and misses, exploration and drilling-wise, but now you've got a development-ready copper project. Okay, so what's the next step? You've got to arrange the project financing and or you need to bring in a senior partner with deep pockets and maybe they have to arrange some project financing as well. And these things are all based on uh, economic assessments uh, of the price of copper, of the costs up front to build these things and stuff like that. And thanks to Jerome Powell and this maniacal monetary policy where it's like a driver you've maybe seen one of the cartoons my cartoonist did he the guy's Powell is going down the, the highway crashing against the guardrails rails on one side of the road and now he's veered all the way to the other side so translating that to the prices of these metals and commodities if you're asked to come up with hundreds of millions or maybe a few billion dollars for XYZ company's copper project how confident are you in the future, when because of this guy's monetary policy and the and the and the and the possibility that he pulls out one too many sticks in this monetary Jenga game and crashes everything, you don't know in the near term if the price of a pound of copper is going to be five dollars or two. All right, so that's problem number one with with even building the green economy of the future. Now flipping it back to the present administration, don't forget starting off with fossil fuels, that the reason Janet Yellen has her job as Treasury Secretary has little, if anything, to do with her acumen. And, you know, you can laugh and chortle over <laughs> claiming she has any acumen herself, any more than Powell, the rest of these people, over monetary policy. She got her job as a founding member of the Climate Leadership Council. And the promise and, and numerous times in speeches and so forth, where she indicated that she would use her post as Treasury Secretary to shut down fossil fuels over time, to discourage and penalize investment in fossil fuels. So it's no wonder that even after a decent rebound from COVID and so forth, we're still a million and a quarter barrels a day below 
what our energy or oil production was nationally before then. We've completely, and you know, this is a whole different subject to talk about this proxy war with Russia over Ukraine, but our, our very cheap and plentiful natural gas supplies, we're sending some of those offshore. So I hope that as they wave their Ukraine flags, the average American is happy when they're when they see their heating bills uh, this coming winter. So we we've done so much damage to our our energy independence to our our and again you know it, it's going to. So what changes that, Chris? Is it, is it a peasant revolt to where the peasants say, "Listen, the cost of living is too high. These decisions are affecting my pocketbook directly." And no more. What, what changes that needs, it? That needs to be a part of it. You know, we're, we don't know for sure yet because we're doing this the morning after the midterm elections, how much the Republicans gained or did not. Um, there's going to be some slight gains by the looks of things, not what some people hoped or expected. But I, I unfortunately think that the average American is going to have to be hurting a lot more. Uh, as far as the rising costs and stuff, you know, this this last year, Bill, with the rising gas prices for a while to over five dollars a gallon national average, all the rest of this stuff. This is only the first fruits of what is going to be a multi-year new energy crisis. And it's only going to get worse until policymakers start becoming a solution and aren't part of the problem. You know, at the same time, the Biden administration and the president himself has talked out of both sides of his mouth. You, you know, you wonder if he even understands half the time what's coming out of his mouth. But after browbeating uh, the energy industry for so many weeks leading up to the election, you got to drill more. You got to drill more. You got to do this. You got to do that. Then he's out campaigning. He's in California. Oh, no, no more drilling. You know, so it's silly, but he's compounded it, as you know, and some of our listeners know, by even hamstringing the production in the U.S. of the materials that we need to build the green economy. Infamously, uh, if you live in Northeast Minnesota, Joe Biden as candidate Biden campaigned in your area, lionizing. Twin Metals, Minnesota, and Polymet is having two development stage battery metals projects that were going to help us in this energy transition. He gets selected, and his administration completely pulls the plug on Twin Metals. They're in court now. And they add new roadblocks to Polymet, which for 20-plus years has been going, you know, running through the gauntlet to try and get this thing permitted and, and developed and producing. So, you know, you've got people who, you know, some of them, Bill, I think it's just a matter of they have under, no understanding of economics and engineering. They think that electric vehicles are spit out by some magic extrusion machine. We fuel them with uh, fairy dust and unicorn urine, and everything is just wonderful and peachy cream. It doesn't work that way. Um, and this administration, you know, in, in both conventional energy and green energy has done a lot of damage. And yeah, there's got to be an understanding of the damage they've done and a revolt, you know, not letting these same people stay in office just because you're worried that some guy that sends out mean tweets might get back in or or some of this other kind of stuff. Uh, you know, this is, uh, I, again, I hate to say, it's going to have to start hurting the average American way more before they wake up and demand the kind of change that we need. And Chris, so you bring this political and investment analysis together in your letter. You also put out an updated gold report. Uh, what are some of the new things you wrote about in there? Well, what I try and do in that gold issue, 
and it's available free for anybody who asks from me. Um, you know, it's really directed to two audiences. We, we've got the more religious gold bugs out there who I think need to be deprogrammed somewhat and understand what drives precious metals prices and in the year 2022 going into 23 that's why the title of it is this is not your father's gold market and it's also directed to people who really have not had any involvement or very little over the years in precious metals to get make the case to them as to why they need to look at this asset class you know it's not an accident and it should be taken seriously by both uh, religious gold bugs and other investors alike that in the last quarter you had the highest demand on a part of central banks for physical gold that they've added to their stores since the late 1960s. Uh, silver and gold physical supplies are very much in short supply because some people and a lot of sophisticated investors apart from central banks are stocking up on it. There's a reason they're doing it. Uh, and I explain the reasons why. Um, and again, as I said earlier, Bill, I think that the reason why we're going to start to see gold and silver percolate a bit more, and I explained this analogy in some great detail in, in this latest issue, is that I liken the present time where precious metals are concerned to 2008. You know, in 2008, after everything had crashed, gold bottomed at $670 an ounce. It took less than three years for gold to triple to over $1,900 an ounce. Silver's price was up fivefold during that time. And it was not because gold bugs were buying. It was because a lot of other investors were buying because there was a narrative that emerged that they were able to get their head around, that being that the economy was so damaged by the financial crisis in 2008, real estate crashed, the economy was weak, et cetera, et cetera that as the Fed started to print a lot of money to try and rescue us from that, and it didn't have and couldn't have for a while any traction in the real economy and in real estate and so forth, which had to lick their wounds for a while, that new monetary inflation went disproportionately into precious metals. The same thing is going to happen again. It might not be as dramatic. We may not, you know, the Fed might avoid a, a major crash, but we've seen the best economic growth we're going to see for a long time. Costs are going to stay high. That is going to squeeze people out of the stock market, you know. And and again, when when you shut off all of the other avenues for investors, and still see the frantic central bank print money to try and keep everything afloat, you have to come to the conclusion that gold and silver will do dis will do proportionately better. And then longer term, I think other commodities will catch up uh, because the, the Fed's going to have to, at some point, weaken the U.S. dollar again. And for any stimulus that comes later, it's going to disproportionately be involved in infrastructure, green energy building, and so forth. And between that and finally, policymakers getting some better policies in place, but probably not before we go through that additional pain. Uh, a lot of new money is going to be directed into that. So, you know, near term, uh, I still love energy. Uranium is the best story among most of the commodities, but they're all good. It's just going to be kind of a tag team who does what, you know, in the next year, three years and five years. Excellent. And the best way to get that report again, one more time, Chris? Just send me an email, chris at nationalinvestor.com. Say, I heard you with Bill. Please send me your gold issue and I'll get it right to you. All right. And I will put that information, Chris's email in the show notes as well. Chris, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your insights with me and my audience. Hey. 
great as always. Take care, Bill. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.